can be dismissed to go to their respective services downstairs. As you are clearly aware, I am not Pastor Gary. He's a little bit shorter, a little bit skinnier, uh, but he, they are traveling today, so we want to remember them in our prayers and pray for safe travels. Amen. I want to get right into the Word of God today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. To the book of Matthew, chapter number 14. And we're going to read verses 23 through 29. From Matthew, chapter 14. It says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter, bless his heart. At this point, you don't really got to say anything. I think the appropriate thing to do is to keep your mouth shut. But Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me, unto thee, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Everybody say, come. And when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Now, you probably know the rest of that story, how that ended. And he didn't get very far out in that water where he started looking around. And he started looking at the waves and the sea and the winds and everything. And he got his eyes off Jesus and began to sink and began to drown. And, 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 and Jesus very quickly just reached out his hand and said, why were you troubled? I, I told you, I'm here. So I want to speak to you. And I just I really mean this for just a few minutes this afternoon on this title. Step out. Step out. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for you to step out. Step out. Now, Matthew identifies this event as transpiring in the fourth watch of the night. Now, in case you're not aware of what the fourth watch of the night was, The Romans changed their guards every three hours of the night. And that was to keep watch in the cities and in the armies to keep their men fresh. So if you were if you were that guy that had uh, the first watch, it might have been from uh, from nine to midnight. And then the second watch, I probably got this all mixed up, but you get it was every three hours. So that was so one person wasn't watching all night because tiredness and weariness would very quickly get a hold of them. So the fourth watch of the night was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's early in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. So it was from about three, four o'clock in the morning. That was the fourth watch of the night. And the ship that the disciples were in was being tossed around very badly by these huge waves from this giant storm. The Bible says that the wind was contrary to them meaning that the wind was literally pushing them in the opposite direction of where Jesus had told them to go. Isn't it a bit frustrating when you get a word from God to go a certain direction and you're going that direction and you're doing great and suddenly there becomes winds that pushes against you. 
and you cry out in frustration, God, I, I thought this was the direction you told me to go. But the wind was contrary to them. And furthermore, the book of John, which also recounts this same story, tells us that they had sailed about 25 to 30 furlongs out. Now, we don't use the word furlong anymore. That's no Jewish word. But about seven and a half furlongs made a mile by, by the Jewish uh, measurements in that day. So the distance that they had traveled was about four miles out into the Sea of Tiberias. Now, at its very widest, the Sea of Tiberias is around 10 miles in breadth. So they were literally in the middle of the sea. Now that's what you call a real pickle. And not the sweet kind that you put on your hamburger. This was, uh, this was a sour pickle. Not a good pickle to be in. Now the pickle was... If they were closer to the shore, they could have easily just sailed back to the land. And if they were closer to their destination, they may have been able to push through despite the storm. So they were in a pickle. They were too close or not, not close enough to either shore. And so the storm came at just the appointed time. Now, we may not feel like storms come and they're appointed by God. When was the last time you said, man, I know we're just really getting beat up right now, but this was appointed by God. This is an appointed season. Maybe <laughs> there's comfort in knowing that it is appointed by God if you're walking with the Lord, as this storm was. Furthermore, when you look at Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, which was before we read our text, but this is the verse that kind of kicked off this whole thing. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent away the multitude. Sometimes we, we quickly read past words without fully pausing to understand their implication. Jesus constrained them. In other words, he commanded them to get into the ship. Now, Jesus had just performed an amazing miracle. Thousands had been fed with just a few loaves and fishes. Perhaps the 12 did not want to go <clears throat> for whatever reason. They were comfortable on the shore. A great miracle had just occurred. As I said, Jesus feeding the 5,000 with loaves and fishes. <clears throat> they weren't even done rejoicing yet. And Jesus made them leave. And leave without, not just leave, but you go and I'll stay behind. <clears throat> so he left. They left without his immediate physical presence. He constrained them. When suddenly in the middle of the sea and without Jesus anywhere in sight. <clears throat> and after a great storm had arose and caused a lot of anxiety and struggle. Jesus finally came walking on that water. And they thought it was an evil spirit. Now some commentaries believe that the twelve thought. That was a demon. That, that it was actually this, this filthy, unclean spirit of darkness that came unto them in the middle of the night. And sometimes that's kind of what it feels like. It goes, just when you say it can't get any worse, guess what? <laughs> it can. 
And sometimes it does before it gets better. But other commentaries say that the 12 thought it was the spirit of some dead departed person walking on the water come to haunt them. But it was Jesus. And when Jesus, then he gave the simple command to Peter, one word. After Peter asked, Lord, if it's thou, bid me come. Jesus simply said, come. And he said, come, verse 29. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I believe that Jesus sent them away outside of their comfort zone to show them a miracle and to get them to step out in a way that they had never stepped out before. I believe that that storm that night came by the direction of the Lord himself. And I believe that it came at just the right time. Perhaps that there were some that may have said to themselves or even talking among themselves, God kind of miscalculated this one. Jesus forgot that there was this storm that was going to come. And now we're, we're four and a half miles out. We're literally dead straight in the middle of the sea. We're too close or we're not close enough to the shore on either side to go anywhere. And we have no hope. And, 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 and we've exhausted everything. And now here's the spirit that's come unto us out of nowhere. And when suddenly they recognized that it was Jesus. Now what if in that moment, whenever Peter, whenever Jesus had said come, what if Peter would have analyzed it from a strategic point? What if he had said, okay, we're going to have a strategic board meeting in the back of the ship. Andrew, James. Thomas, we always got to get Downey Thomas because, you know, he's always got an alternative opinion. He sees things in a way that nobody else does. So we want Downey Thomas back on the all Maybe they all gathered around in a little huddle. And Peter looked at Andrew and said, okay, Brother Andrew, have you, have you ran the numbers? And Andrew said, well, I plugged my numbers in into my little 33 AD computer tablet. It might have been literally a tablet. <laughs> I plugged all the numbers in and I've calculated the size of the waves and the strength of the wind and I've calculated everything and I'm here to determine and tell you that from a strategic numerical standpoint and financially, we cannot afford to step out of this boat. This is the safest place for us to be. And on around, they went around in a little circle and everybody gave their opinion and input. You know, if, if Peter had done that, he would have never seen the sizable miracle that God had determined for him to see. Because staying in the boat is always the safest option. It's what we're used to. It's warm and cozy and, 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 and fuzzy in the boat. Warm and fuzzy. Comfortable. It's where we've always been. This is what we do. This is how we do it. But you'll never see the greatest of miracles in the boat. You have to step out to see that. And let me tell you this, to make this really personal. Staying in our building and continuing to own it would have been the safest option for Refuge Church from a physical perspective. But we got halfway literally out into the sea where when a storm arose... And circumstances beyond our control prevented us from going back and rebuying the building and moving forward onto our next destination, which was, would be the new building or building from a new land. Just like the 12 on that stormy night.
But right now in this season, Jesus is calling us to step out in faith and walk on the water. Now for sure, the 12 did eventually get to the other side and saw miracles like they had never seen before. As a matter of fact, you won't see too many places in the Bible where it says Jesus healed every one of them. But at the end of that chapter in the book of Matthew, you can read that that's exactly what happened. After they came out the other side, the Bible says Jesus did so many miracles. And, and, and Matthew just said, I can't tell them all. He healed them all. He healed every single one of them. But so much was contingent on how they responded in that single moment. Would somebody uh, step out in faith or will they stay in their sinking boat? Would they stay? where they thought it was safe or will they step out and obey the command of the Lord you see we want circumstances to always line up before we step out in faith before we move in faith before we we walk in a certain direction we want to analyze it we want to run all the numbers we want to put our numbers into the computer and we want it all to make good financial sense Uh, but I'm here to tell you today that that's not that's not faith that is reason And you will never see great things by reason. You only see them by faith. Now there's a time to to have reason. We should have good reason. Somebody said good common sense. Amen. But there's a time when God says, okay, it's time to forget human reasoning. And it's time to walk in faith. When you start, I'll start moving. When you start walking, I'll start working on your behalf. But we want the miracle to go ahead of us. But sometimes the miracle doesn't go ahead of us. It goes with us. Sometimes God said, you take the first step and then I'll walk with you. But I'm requiring this step of faith. Now, why would God do that? I'm so glad you asked. Joshua chapter 3 in verse 15, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan, for Jordan overflows all his banks at the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up from a heap, very, not very far, very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeraton. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. Now, of course, this is when, after they had spent 40 years in the wilderness, and they came to the banks of the Jordan River. And and this was the moment that they would cross over the Jordan River and they would actually begin to go into their promised land, which was Canaan. And this land of Canaan had been promised generations before. You got to go back seven, eight, nine hundred years, all the way back to Abraham. God said, God led Abraham into the land of Canaan. He said, Look, look north, south, east, and west, look up, look down, I've given it all to you. And Abraham was right smack in the middle of Canaan. <clears throat> so now, generations later, nearly about a thousand years later, they came to this place. But when Israel came out of Egypt, God required no act of faith on Israel's part when they were at the Red Sea. Matter of fact, whenever they came to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was behind them. 
and the Red Sea was in front of them. And all God told Moses to do was stretch out your rod. Israel had to do nothing. There were no priests. There were no Ark of the Covenant. There was no singing. There was no dancing. There was no praise music. There was no worship leader. There was nothing. God just gave Moses one single command. All I need you to do at this level from where you are at right now, I just want you to take your rod and stretch it out over the Red Sea. And boom, one side went this way. The other side went that way. They walked on dry land. Pharaoh thought he could too. And down it came and drowned all the armies of Pharaoh. For 40 years in the wilderness, that's what they saw. Whenever they came to a place where they had no water, God said, okay, Moses, take your rod. I want you to smite the rock. Israel had required, was required no, no act of faith on any level. Nothing. They didn't have to do a thing. Moses took his rod, smote the rock, water gushed out. They came to one place where the water was bitter. God said, throw a tree in there. And he threw a tree in there and the water became sweet. God made the bitter sweet. They came to another place where they had nothing to eat. God said, okay, Moses, pray. And manna came from heaven for 40 years. Over and over and over and over, all throughout their journey of the wilderness, there is very little things, if any, that ever was required an act of faith on Israel's part. But after 40 years of seeing it happen and being in the school of faith in the wilderness, now God is requiring this act of faith by Israel. God said, now there will be no uh, rod stretched over the Jordan River. There will be nothing like that that will happen. I am going to require you to get down in the water, roll your skirts up, and begin to walk in that muddy Jordan River. And as they begin to walk, as the soles of their foot uh, stepped out on that Jordan bank. The Bible says that the Jordan's banks begin to push back. And they took one more step and Jordan's banks began to push back. Now, can you imagine if we were here at this muddy Jordan River and it's like, you know, the Jordan River under normal circumstances isn't really that deep. It's easily formable. It's only about between three and about seven or eight feet deep at its at its. At its at its worst in, the, in biblical times. Until it overflows its banks during the time of harvest and then it rises up to over 20, 30 feet and it's uncrossable. It overflows the banks and, and there's snakes and all kinds of wonderful things in there. Now can you imagine if you're there with your, with your little ones in a little baby stroller or if you're one of those dog, little dog people that put your dogs in the stroller. I'm not mentioning names, but my wife and I might be two of those people. (laughs) I'm not pushing a dog, though, across the river. That dog's going to (laughs) drown. You're at the banks of the Jordan River. You've got your little ones there, and it's 30 feet deep. and, and, And not only is it 30 feet deep, but whenever a river overflows its banks, the currents pick up. Because rivers dump out into the ocean or into bigger bodies of water. So the currents is fast. And you're looking at this current, you know, wheeze by. And you're thinking, God, are you crazy right now? Do you even understand what you're asking me? God led Israel to the banks of an impossible situation. 
and then told them to step right down into it. Don't run from it. Run into it because God has sent you. And as soon as they began to take their step of faith, God began to work. That's what happens when God says, okay, now you've graduated out of the school of faith. You've learned enough. You've spent enough time in the wilderness. Now it's time to start operating in faith and start working in faith. And you're going to see things that you've never seen before. And you're going to see miracles that you've never seen before. And you're going to see provision that you've never seen before. But maybe it's going to require us getting out of our boat and stepping out into some muddy, stormy waters. Why would God do that? To test their faith. To put it into practice. They needed to have a strong faith in order to enter and conquer their promised land. Whenever they came out of Egypt, God sent the plagues all by himself, except for through the prayers and the word of Moses. But there was no conquering done on their part. They had a slave mentality for 430 years. But now God said, I'll, I'll send the hornet and I'll send all these bad things ahead of you to drive out some of the people. But I'm going to leave enough left in the land of Canaan. I'm not going to drive out everybody. You're going to have to drive that out because that's done by faith. And they needed to have faith in order to do that. So the first test of their faith was God said, okay, get to Jericho, the walls of Jericho. And, you know, look at how, you know, they say that the walls of Jericho were so thick that chariots could race on top. Chariots, houses were built, entire houses and subdivisions were built atop of these gigantic walls. And, and God said, okay, how are we going to get the walls down? Joshua, stretch out your rod. Nope. March. Start marching. Once every day. And on the seventh day, march seven times. And at that seventh time that you march, I want you to shout like you've never shouted before. And as they shouted, and as they marched, and as they moved, and as they were obedient in what God told them to do, God began to act, and God began to work, and move them into their promised land. Because they were strong enemies present, who weren't going to just easily move out. And so much of Israel's future hung on this singular moment. Would they walk in faith like warriors, or do they still have a slave mentality like they had back in Egypt? Are we going to be like those people who need to see a miracle before we ever start walking in faith? Or are we going to be a people who walk in faith and believe God God gives us a word and says, go that direction, and we go. But the numbers don't match up. But the finances don't match up. But we'll have a million different excuses. None of that matters to God. I think God is saying to us right now, I want you to get out of your boat, and I want you to start marching. I want you to step out in ways that you've never stepped out before. There is a spiritual parallel between where they were at in their day and where we were currently at. We are also in untested waters. We have a seemingly impossible situation, and you may too in your own personal and private life. And God is telling us just like them to step out and walk in faith just like they did. But remember that nobody is a mountain climber without a mountain to climb. Amen. Nobody can ever say that I'm a mountain climber unless they've climbed some mountains and forged some streams. 
dreams uh, and did some things, you know, amen, and, and, and had to pray all night sometimes to see their miracle happen. Nobody's a mountain climber until there's a mountain to climb and you need the strength of the Holy Ghost. And then you'll know what David said when he said, he makes my feet like hind's feet and puts me upon my high places. Great faith is not great until it's proven to be great faith. It's not really faith at all unless it's activated. We love the security of the boat. We love the safety of the shore. We love the familiarity of the same place we've always been before. So God sends us a storm into our boat and the Jordan River to stand in the way between a hot desert and a land that flows with milk and honey. And then he reminds us there's a time to wait on God and there's a time to march forward in faith. And truly, if we're honest, God has been stirring us out of our comfy nest for quite some time now in order to get us to step out in faith. And what we do in this moment and how we respond will define and shape our future. Step out in faith. Step out in faith in your witnessing. Step out. Nobody wins a person unless they step out in faith. Step out in your witnessing. You know, you might think that person would never want a Bible study. You don't know until you ask. And guess what? They're not going to hate you for asking them if they want a Bible study. Step out in faith in your finances. But we don't have the money this month. Give anyway. You can't outgive God. And I believe that the next step of a building, whatever and whenever that will be, will be also requiring us to be a step of faith. It will measure up. It may not make good financial sense. The numbers may not even add up in our favor. But God is saying to us in this season right now, I want you to step out in faith. I want you to step out in confidence, knowing that as soon as you begin to walk, I'll begin to move. As soon as you step foot, step foot of the sole of your foot down in that muddy Jordan River, you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to see miracles like you've never saw before. You're going to see provision. It's not going to be manna from heaven. It's not going to be bread in the wilderness anymore. It's going to be milk and honey and a land that flows with great things of God. But we want to see the circumstances change before we ever step out. But that's not how faith works. We want to walk by reason instead of by faith. But reason never, ever, ever, ever sees a miracle. Reason never sees any human. In, reason never sees any miracles from God. Reason looks at the storm. Faith looks at Jesus. Reason counts the reasons why we can't. Faith listens for Jesus' command to come and doesn't care about anything else. Reason has torment and fear. Faith has faith and peace and joy. Reason comes by carnal senses, but faith comes by our spiritual senses. I hear the Spirit of God saying to us today, step out. Jesus said this in the book of John chapter 9. And believe it or not, now I'm almost done. From the book of John chapter 9, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Now I want to say to you right now, if you believe your Bible, if you believe it everything from Genesis to Revelation, you know that there is a nighttime that is fast approaching our world. 
time for our world, our country, our families, our loved ones who are lost and without Christ is very quickly running out. The world, this world has a date with destiny and with God. Doesn't matter if it's the United States or Russia or North Korea. No leader or no dictator, whether he be left, right, or anywhere in between, will ever stand in the way of what God has already decreed will happen. There is a time of coming judgment. We do not know when. But based on the rapidly deteriorating morality and state of our world, it's closer than any of us ever would like to admit. We don't know how long the doors of evangelism will stay freely and widely open even in the United States. We don't know how long we'll even be able to openly and publicly preach from open pulpits and openly and freely worship the God that we serve in whatever way that we see fit. We don't know how long our economy will hold up despite what the politicians say the World Economic Forum is now clamoring for what they call a great reset to happen on or before the year 2030, which would rapidly and quickly impact the United States and Western economies. There's also been a lot of talk about the dollar possibly collapsing, uh, even in, in very wide, widely circulated newspapers and magazines just as recently as this year. Now, I don't like conspiracy theories, and, you know, perhaps none of these things happen in our day. I certainly hope not. But we don't know the future, and we can't even fully understand all that is happening in the present right now. But I do know that God is leading us to step out in faith, step out while we can, step out while there is time, step out while the doors of evangelism are still open, get that Bible study chart out, and go to somebody's home and begin to teach them a Bible study, witness, amen, talk to neighbors. Maybe maybe they don't want to have anything to do with God, but but you don't know until you step out. You don't have to have a word from God to tell somebody that Jesus loves you and would you like a home Bible study. God is saying now is the time. If you need a word, then here's a word. Go get a Bible study. Go teach somebody that's lost about Jesus Christ. Go baptize somebody. Don't wait for the pastor to come and lay hands on the sick. You do it. Now is the time. Now is the time to step out. But I'm only 15 years old. I'm only 13 years old. I'm only 21. I may not even have the Holy Ghost yet. I don't care. Step out. Now is the time. Now is the season. Now is the harvest. The harvest is not tomorrow. We're not guaranteed a tomorrow. We only have today. We only have right now. So step out. The harvest is waiting. Stand to your feet right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. Oh, come on, let your voices out for just a moment. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want any music just yet. I just want you to, to, to let your faith out right now. The time is now. The season is now. Don't wait for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, la la 
Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. In Paul's day, whenever Paul was sent to the Gentiles, at one place, he preached to the Jews, and, and they didn't receive him, so he said, from henceforth, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And he went to the Gentiles, but he wrote in one place, he said, a dispensation of the grace of God has been given unto me. And if, now, if, if you read from Brother King James, <laughs> the way I do, that word dispensation, our minds think it means time period, but actually it means stewardship. And so what Paul was saying was there has been a stewardship of the grace of God that has been given unto me, been handed to me. Because I have received grace. And haven't we all? If you're here in this place right now, if you're breathing, you may not even, if you're listening online, you may not even believe in Jesus yet. But if you're breathing where did that breath come from? It came from the Lord. So we all have received his help and his grace. And in return, we have been given stewardship of that grace. And that grace comes in a lot of ways. It comes through finances. Some of you have been blessed tremendously financially, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And maybe you haven't been a very good steward of that. I'm not saying you are or aren't. I'm not here to determine that. I'm just saying we all have been given stewardship of the things God has given us. And one day we will stand in judgment whenever we were in our little boats and we saw the world going to hell and our friends and our neighbors, what did we do? Did we, I'm, again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just trying to make, let the conviction of God seep down into us today. We've been given a gift. God has entrusted us. I believe that this, is, that this will be the last generation before the coming. Maybe Jesus don't come from 800 years, but I'm just judging by the landscape and how things are happening. Jesus said, when you see things quickly come to, have, come to pass, then know that my coming is nigh. And in Paul's day, there was a coming judgment on his day as well. And that, was, that happened in 70 AD when they ransacked and pillaged Jerusalem. You can look it up and you can read about it in your history books. 
but it absolutely happened. Israel was booted out of their nation until 1948. And, and God said, whenever you see Israel begin to trickle back down into their nation and begin to formulate a nation, then you know that my coming is really nigh. And that's been just a generation ago. And now we are seeing the world lining up against Israel and lining up in the Middle East. And, and, and you can hear the sound of drums. You can hear the beat of drums all over our nation as, as the nuclear arsenals are being packed up. And we're living in our homes and we're living in our nice communities and we're shiny shoes and, 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 and wonderful cars. But God is saying right now, there's so much more than I have for you. God wants to, he doesn't just want us to stay in this little tiny building. You got to get a glimpse of what God wants to do in this end time church is so much bigger than you or I could ever begin to imagine. The downpouring of God's spirit that our forefathers have prayed for and fasted for for generations. Amen. Even saints of God maybe that have gone on before that have laid in these very carpets and in these very altars and have prayed for a revival and a downpouring. God is pouring out those prayers on this generation right now. He's pouring out prayers and he's saying it's time to get out of the boat. It's time to step forward down into Jordan's muddy banks. It's time to do what you can but I can't do very much. That's fine. Do what you can. We don't know what will happen in the next presidential election. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. Maybe there will be another 911 that will cause laws to change. I'm not prophesying anything. I'm just saying we don't know the future and we don't know what's going to happen and we ought to take advantage of the time because now is the season. Now is the season. I want you to come down to the altars this afternoon. Just find a place to talk to God. Amen. Just say, Lord, what will you have me to do? What will you have me to step out into? Maybe it's a ministry, something that God is calling you and urging you into. Maybe it's a Bible study. <laughs> God, speak to us today, God.